Broncos country. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. Touchdown Denver. All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Touchdown Denver, hosted by myself, George Stoy, the Denver Gazette, and my good friend Nick Ferguson. Nick, how you doing today? How you doing this beautiful Tuesday? It's it's uh, we're waiting on a cold front, Nick. I don't know if you've checked the weather out for the next few days, but it's going to be very cold. Well, George, uh, hey, listen, it's been cold in Denver since uh, week one, so uh, a couple of days of uh, chilly weather here will not change anything. What I mean by that is the Broncos not performing well and a lot of the negative narratives that have come out about this team, but they're coming off a victorious Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. So it's on and upwards to Los Angeles. Yeah. I, uh, how did you, how did you spend your victory Monday, Nick? Well, I, uh, believe it or not, George, I spent my, uh, victory Monday doing uh, volunteer work. So nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, love to go out there and volunteer and give back. Uh, took a couple of uh, former Broncos and uh, took my son with me because I wanted him to learn the art of volunteering, especially during the holidays. Right. Well, that's good, man. That's better than me. I uh, spent my Monday uh, doing nothing. So well, I, I, I thought uh, you were going to go hoop. No, no, I didn't hoop. I, I did go to the gym uh, and worked out, but I did not hoop. Um, but other than that, I didn't do a whole lot, but we did hear from Nathaniel Hackett yesterday, Nick. Uh, and that's probably the best mood he's been in, in a while, obviously, uh, you know, snapping that five game win streak. We got to talk to him a little bit and I thought he had some interesting comments, Nick, that we can, uh, kind of break down, uh, in today's episode. And the first one that I wanted to kind of get to, uh, going back to Sunday's game is the ability to run the football, Nick. And you and I talked about it. Uh, in the post game, I think they ran for what was it, 170 yards, 168 yards, something like that. I believe it was their highest total this season. Uh, and he kind of talked about why they were able to do that. But I, I wanted to hear from you, Nick. Why were the Broncos so successful in the run game uh, on Sunday? And is that something they can replicate going forward? Well, the reason that they were um, great in the run game, I, I guess, is due to the circumstances that they have to deal with as a team, you know, not having a lot of viable options at the receiver positions and having to use not one, not two, but three tight ends at uh, times during the game. And they were using their tight ends differently than we've seen them use at the beginning of the season. And what it quickly reminds me of is when I was playing, we're playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers and Pittsburgh Steelers were getting 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, or even 13 personnel, one back, three tight ends. And these are formations that you think that teams typically are are going to run out of, but they pass out of these types of situations as well. And to me, I got to tip my cap to Clint Kubiak. And we're starting to see Clint Kubiak put his uh, fingerprint on his team because these are the same type of personnel groupings that his father deployed when he was a member of of the Baltimore Ravens and with the Minnesota Vikings, and more importantly, Houston Texans and with the Broncos. So he's getting more back to his roots. But the thing that's crazy uh, about this situation is that the Broncos had Clint Kubiak on the roster the entire time from a coaching standpoint, but he was a quarterback coach. Why did they tap into these ideals and try to implement? And I know it just seems as though, hey, when you're desperate, 
and you don't have the right personnel, you have to try and exhaust almost anything. But at this point of the game, George, for me, I don't know about for you, but I'm wondering why didn't the Broncos try to do this early on when they had a healthy group as far as offensive linemen and running backs? Yeah, I don't know, Nagy. And and that's the part that is probably frustrating for for probably a lot of fans, right, is these last couple of weeks you look at what they're doing offensively and you kind of are like, well, why weren't you guys doing this earlier in the season in terms of uh, play action and, and personnel sets and, um, you know, certain things that they're running offensively. And I don't know what the answer is, Nick. I don't know if it's a, you know, a Clint Kubiak thing uh, with him taking over as the play caller. Uh, if Nathaniel Hackett has just decided to make some adjustments, I don't know what it is, but I think all you can hope now is that, you know, in these final three games that they stick to it because it's working. Like w- what they're doing is working. Uh, they're moving the ball better than they did previously. They're scoring more. Like I thought it was an interesting stat thrown out there yesterday, Nick, that in the, the first 12 weeks of the season, they only scored six touchdowns in the second half. The last two weeks, they've scored five touchdowns in the second half. So uh, that tells you how much better they've been offensively these last two weeks. And I know some of it's, you know, maybe a case of you play the chiefs and the Cardinals and you look at them statistically on defense, they're not great defenses, but it's, it doesn't matter. It's very clear uh, that the Broncos offense has made some adjustments and, and uh, they're, they're doing a better job in a lot of areas, but particularly Nick, the run game. And you and I have said it all year. If you can run the football, uh, you're going to be successful in offense. And so we have some audio here, Nick, uh, from Nathaniel Hackett talking about why the run game was so successful and how they're using uh, their tight ends to make uh, the run game successful. It was great to get Beck back. He, he's been he's been out for, I want to say, two games, the past two games he's missed. I think when you have him back there, he gives you another dimension with his ability to move and lead block to gain some angles. Uh, and we used all those guys. We used Saab. We used Tomlinson. Uh, and, I mean, uh, I think, and Dulcich. I mean, all four of them, I thought, did a really good job. Uh, we were able to present some different pictures, go on some different personnels, and, and we really committed to the run game. And that audio there was uh, from Broncos.com. But, Nick, uh, one guy I wanted to point out in there that he he talked about because he has been injured is Andrew Beck. And I wonder if that played a little bit of a factor of them being able to run the ball a little bit more effectively. I mean, I remember earlier in the season, uh, Andrew Beck was their guy. I mean, he was their leading blocker uh, in the run game. And obviously getting him back from the hamstring injury that kept him out, I think, several weeks, uh, I think was a big boost. Well, it definitely was a big uh, boost. When you look at the tight end, Thomason, who scored his first touchdown, I guess, of his career, Uh, Eric Salbert, who was in that mix as well, and Greg Dosage, Andrew Beck is the better of the tight ends as far as when it comes to blocking. I mean, it was a play that took place uh, in a game where the Broncos tried to run off their left side, and Eric Salbert was kind of the the lead blocker. He passed up Buda Baker to go to the next level, and Buda Baker made the tackle on the running back. And Beck gives you a whole different element. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can line up as a, as a fullback. He's not your traditional fullback. He, he reminds me of San Francisco and how they like to use uh, Kyle Juszczyk. He, he's, he's not juice um, because of the, the passing route running, but he is definitely a viable option that they can use. And with him back in the lineup, man, he gives Clint Kubiak a variety of different things that he can throw at the defense. So having four tight ends that you can deploy, it it works well because it's like a disguise, right? It's like a booby trap for the defense. 
you lure them to sleep thinking, okay, we're going to run, we're going to run, and knowing as though the Broncos have been successful in two consecutive games running the ball, now you have to think, okay, well, if, while the coaches are sitting in the, in the coaching room thinking about, well, what's the game plan coming into this week against the Rams? Now you run that same action, and now maybe you can sneak those guys out of the backfield, sort of like uh, Sean McVay would do with Tyler Higby. So now you can give them some of their own medicine, knowing as though this version – of the Broncos offense is similar, not, not exact, but similar to the one that Sean McVay runs with the Rams. Yeah, no, it, it, it really is Nick. And, and I, I think that we're starting to kind of see it actually get pieced together. I mean, I, I don't know if you watched uh, any of the Monday night game last night, but uh, you watch what the Rams are doing offensively. And, and obviously they lost that game last night, but they were able to run the ball uh, and they were doing some of the same sort of concepts that you saw the Broncos do this last week in the run game and also some play action. And uh, that's also what, uh, you know, they're, they're good with, I mean, Baker Mayfield, uh, I'm pretty sure he's, he's more efficient in play action, at least statistically he is. So you're going to see some of that from the Rams. And I think that's what you're going to see from the Broncos is some under center, uh, get the guy out of the pocket, play action, that sort of stuff. So I do think that, that you're seeing some of that. Nick, one thing I wanted to bring up, we talked about the tight ends. I thought the wide receivers, it was one of their better games blocking downfield. And I think that was somewhat a result of Freddie Swain. Um, I don't know if you noticed him, Nick. He was out there quite a bit. And I think it's because he's a really good blocker. Uh, He's a physical guy out there. But what did you think of the wide receivers blocking downfield? And obviously, when you lose a guy like Tim Patrick before the season, he's their best blocking wide receiver, um, you know, coming into the year. And, And so you don't have him. I wonder if you know, obviously Freddie Swain is not Tim Patrick, but he could maybe help fill that role a little bit in the run game. Well, Freddie Swain doesn't have to be Tim Patrick. All you have to do is just go out there and, and block on the perimeter. When we see teams and they're successful week in and week out, it's not because they have great offensive line play or extraordinary running back play. I mean, you take that into account, but it's those wide receivers being able to get downfield lay a block on the safety, but more importantly, come down and do that dirty work and having to block maybe a linebacker. If you remember, I'll go back really quickly to the game, the last game that the Broncos uh, won, which was a game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. There was this kind of uh, reverse play that kind of reverse toss a pitch or whatever you want to call it to Jerry Judy. And the guy that really sealed the block that sprung Jerry Judy was the smallest guy on the field in K.J. Hamlin. And when I saw that, I was like, could you imagine if every single wide receiver for the Broncos adopted that same uh, philosophy, how many more extra yards the running back will be able to pick up? Because now you have confidence that, hey, the guys on the outside on the perimeter, they're going to help. And that's something that we haven't really seen, which is a staple of this offense is the outside zone play. When you run those outside zone play, that running back has to be spot on with his footwork. But more importantly, those wide receivers outside on the perimeter, they have to block. And Terrell Davis drafted in the sixth round, extraordinary running back, Hall of Fame. Let me put, some, put something on his name. Hall of Fame running back Terrell Davis. He was exceptional because guess what? He had great vision. He had a great offensive line. But he had Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey outside those numbers blocking for him. And that was the one thing that, that kind of got me. Knowing as though we live here in Denver, and, and here in Denver, and you know we, we cover the Broncos all the time, Rod Smith doesn't live too far from the facility. When those receivers are not blocking well, I'm like, listen, I know Zach Azani is a wide receiver coach, but bring Rod in so he can tell them 
the importance of their job and maybe their unselfish play for the first time we've seen all season long, maybe they'll lead to more explosive runs, but also it sets up the double move and the play action that they definitely can take advantage of. And we'll get into that later on this week when they face the Rams. Yeah, I'd love to see Rod Smith in the building more. Uh, and he's already around, obviously, the, the team a little bit. I, you run into him every once in a while. Obviously, you have Steve Atwater there all the time, too, um, you know, talking to guys. But, yeah, Rod would be Rod would be the man out there. Obviously, he was one of the best uh, blocking wide receivers. One guy, Nick, that they're getting back maybe this week at wide receiver is Cortland Sutton. Uh, what could maybe he bring to the table? Obviously, uh, you know, we we know what he can bring to the table as a receiver, uh, and I think it would, would only, you know, help this offense. Again, I think Brandon Johnson and Jalen Virgil and those guys, Freddie Swain, have come in and, and done a nice job. Uh, but you bring in Cortland Sutton and you still have Jerry Judy playing the way that he is. Uh, I think it opens the offense up a little bit more. And then, I mean, what does it bring in, in the run game if he if he's a guy that can can be a blocker? Obviously, he's a bigger wide receiver. See, see you used that word. You said if he can be uh, a blocker. Ho- hopefully, he watched with his time off, seeing how Freddie Swain came in and helped these guys uh, block on the perimeter. And Jerry Judy was blocking and he was criticized since he's been here with the Broncos as far as not being able to block. So you hope that Cortland Sutton comes in and he feeds off it. But here's something that's more important. With Cortland Sutton, you know, expected to make a, make a return, how does that change the offense? Do you try to, you know, use Cortland the way that you were trying to use him before? And now that means that Jerry Judy has to take a back seat. I don't really like that. I don't really like that philosophy. Over the past two weeks, Jerry has proven that he can be wide receiver one. So you find a way to get Cortland involved. But now the roles have now switched, in my opinion. Now you use Cortland as a diversion and a way of freeing up Jerry Judy. And knowing as though Freddie Swain has some time, you know, spent some time with Russell Wilson in Seattle, we can see a different type of offense, you know, on Sunday against the Rams. Once again, we'll get into that more later in the week. But I want you to kind of think about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I I know one thing that I would not do is go away from Jerry Judy. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to get him the football. I'm probably keeping him at the X, Nick, because he's played really well the last couple of weeks at the X. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a guy that you're right. He's become the top guy. And so I don't know where that puts Cortland, um, but I think that you've got to keep Jerry where he's at right now uh, and continue to let him be that playmaker because – Again, we've talked a lot about Jerry. Uh, you know, some people believe he didn't, you know, live up to his potential the last couple of years. And now we're seeing him become the elite receiver that I think we all thought he was going to be. Uh, and so whatever's working, I would not mess with it, right? Uh, so I, I think that that's what the Broncos need to do. But Nick, we need to take a quick break. Uh, and then we will dive into more a little bit about the offense as well as some other topics uh, in today's episode. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, everybody. Welcome back from that quick break. Uh, and Nick, the Broncos are on a winning streak, Nick. Uh, if, if you if you believe in, in one game winning streak, switch around here, you might as well because um, we have not seen them have a two-game winning streak all season, have we? Oh, wait. Did they beat? Did they beat the Texans and 49ers in back-to-back weeks? Yes, they did. 
So they did have a two game winning streak. Yeah, and, but it uh, seems so long ago though. It does. It feels like a year ago. Um, <laughs> it feels like like last season that that happened. Uh, and, and and I still laugh about that 49ers game because you look at the 49ers now uh, and they look like one of the best teams in the NFL. And uh, if it wasn't for Dr- Jimmy Garoppolo running out of bounds, uh, running out of the back of the end zone, I don't know if the Broncos win that game. Uh, cause I think they, what was the final score? Like 11 to 10 or whatever. Something like that. Very, high, very low score. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, uh, the Broncos have a chance, Nick, this week to get, uh, on a two game winning streak. Um, and, uh, I do want to ask you though, Nick, because you brought this to my attention and I want to hear your perspective because I have, I think I have a different opinion. Uh, but is there any pros or cons? What are the pros and cons of, of being on a one game winning streak? Well, here are the cons, uh, first and foremost. Uh, now I'm seeming like I'm starting off negative, but uh, let's, let's, be, let's be realistic about the situation. You mentioned the Broncos haven't had a two-game winning streak since they beat the Texans and San Francisco in back-to-back games, but that seems so uh, far ago, even though it was early on in the season. But what happens with that is that this team has been desperate for a win. We've seen it week in and week out, frustrations on the players' part, frustration on the, uh, the the fans and the coaches, but now they, they win a game. And yeah, it was against Arizona Cardinals, but the win is a win is a win. And sometimes, I mean, we, we as people and, uh, and as players, we can become complacent, right? So the idea is that you had all these weeks of just struggling and then all of a sudden you went, you, you win a game and it's like, yes, it's high fives in the locker room. Everyone is happy. Everyone is celebrating, right? And everyone's driving home and, and everyone's uh, eating good food and you don't have to worry about going to uh, these little side places to, to eat that uh, are not really uh, according to your diet. So that's what I'm worried about. And then the fact that, you know, we're running into the, the holidays and family's going to be in town. You have all those things. And sometimes as a player, I mean, you can fall right into a rut, like like it, like instantly fall into a rut. So for me, that's kind of one of the cons. Guys falling back on. The Laurels thinking, okay, hey, listen, we won a game. Woo! Now we got that 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 off our back. But here are the pros, if I could, really quickly. Now, the pros is that, hey, this team has really rallied behind one another. They stayed together, even though uh, there were a lot of negative things that were said out there about them trying to divide that locker room. And they have stayed together this entire time. And because they've lost some games and they finally won one, now they can say, look, Look at what we were able to do. We came back and we rallied in the second half against the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, we were at at home. We were playing against the Arizona Cardinals, but we rallied to in the second half. If we can continue to do that and start off how we finish, I mean, we may have a great outing against Baker in the Rams and might blow them out. And then we have our second win of the season. And when you get that second win, when you start talking about George, you talk about that third win, so those are the pros and cons for me, but you tell me what you think. Well, I don't think there's any cons, Nick. That's my hot take. I don't think there's any cons because this team has been to the bottom of the barrel. Uh, they have hit rock bottom. It seems like every week they find a new rock bottom. Uh, so winning a game, I think there's only positives. And I, I, I get what you're saying is is the concern of falling back into, uh, you know, ce- you know, celebrating too much or, or – being too high on a win, especially a win that, uh, like you said, comes against a team that is, you know, pretty much surrendered, kind of a and a, a bad a bad uh, Cardinals team. But I think I, I've seen enough from this team that 
I don't think they'll take it that way. I, I think that they were obviously very happy on Sunday. Um, but even guys in the locker room after the game were saying, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's that 24 hour rule, right? Uh, back to work the next day. And you could he- even hear it in Hackett's voice uh, yesterday talking on Monday about the game, uh, that there's still a lot to improve and a lot of stuff that they want to get done. And I think the one thing, Nick, that will keep them from being complacent with that win is you've got jobs on the line these next three weeks. And winning football games is the one thing that could probably keep your job. And that's the coaching staff. And that's also football players, right? That's also, guys, you and I have talked about it. There's a lot of players on this team in contract years, right? Uh, There's a lot of young guys starting to play football that want to be back on this team next year. So I think that that's the part for me that if if you're winning games, that's the pro, right, is is what you said and trying to build momentum. Let's see if we can beat the Rams, right, uh, a team that they probably should beat. Uh, I watched that Packers game last night, and I think the Broncos are a better team right now than the Los Angeles Rams. And then you turn around, right, and you play the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's a big task. But if you go in there and you're on a two-game winning streak, and I know it's only two games, but – I would feel like the confidence would be really high going into Kansas City. And all of a sudden you're playing spoiler, right, these last two weeks. Uh, And I would assume that, again, the confidence would be really high. Uh, And so I I don't know if there's a a ton of cons, in my opinion, Nick. I I think that it's only pros for me. And, and again, when you talk about jobs on the line, uh, I don't think there's any room to be complacent after a win that really, you know, yes, it was a nice win. But I think they also know the reality is – uh, they didn't play a very good football team, and uh, they still have you know some stuff that they want to prove this year. And if they can beat the Rams, uh, then you know all of a sudden it, it, they prove a little bit more. And then if they can really win the last two games of the year uh, against the Chiefs and the Chargers, that would be um, again doesn't save the season obviously, but uh, it, it makes you feel a lot better. Okay, George, I get all of that. And once again, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. But uh, I mean, but yeah. say, Nick, I'm I'm typically the Debbie Downer. You're you, we're we're flipping roles here. No, I'm I'm just trying to be uh, uh, realistic about the situation because I mean, you just mentioned the fact that the Broncos have a couple of young players on this team, and earlier this week, you know, Coach Hackett when asked about Luke Wattenberg and how well that he played, I mean, he he was singing his praises, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Coach. Hey, I, I know we have to make sure we start to build our players up. I think you were building him up way too much because, yeah, we all saw the game and Luke Widenberg had to come in, but he wasn't extraordinary. I mean, you talked about, hey, you know, him blocking J.J. Wide and all of that. It's like, no, 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 coach. That didn't really happen that way. So once again, you get a guy like Luke Widenberg, right? Let's just let's highlight him for just a second. Now they go out, the coach is singing your praises the day after. Uh, you're celebrating a victory. Yes, yeah, victory Monday. Yay. And then now all of a sudden you go in the game against the Rams knowing as though, guess what? There is no Aaron Donald. He's going to the Pro Bowl, but there's no Aaron Donald playing in this particular game. Does he go out there and rest on his laurels and play like he's played over the past two weeks? These are my concerns. This is why I say, well, the, 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 the cons when we win against pros may be uh, 80-20, maybe. Let's just say it's 80-20. But this is what I've seen happen. What teams that have been in this situation – and I've been on teams like this, whether it was at NFL Europe, uh, in the CFL, even in the NFL, where you've been wanting and you've been working so hard to get a W, you finally get that W, and then not everyone is working on the same plane that got them that W. It is something that happens. It's called complacency. And are you going to tell me, George Stoyer, 
that all of a sudden, after victory and the coach singing your praise, that we're going to see a different Luke Wattenberg in the game against the Rams. I know you're not telling me that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't think so, Nick, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing to to build his confidence up a little bit because I'm sure it was the lowest it could be a week ago. Um, and they're going to have to rely on him to play probably going forward a little bit. So if, I, I think my argument, Nick, is not that there's no cons. I just choose to believe that they're not going to let the cons get to them, if that makes sense, right? Like, I understand everything that you're saying um, and, and being complacent and, you know, young guys – uh, you know, being too high on this. But I also choose to believe that a lot of these young guys, Nick, you know, played for programs that are used to winning. And now that they have a taste of winning, they're going to take that taste of winning and they're going to try and replicate it each week uh, instead of falling back into, oh, well, we want a game, you know, uh, who cares? Or I guess not who cares, but, you know, let's uh, let's just celebrate this week or whatever. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of guys on this football team that were desperate for winning, and now that they 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 feel it again, uh, they want to replicate it this week. So I mean, again, I I don't know Luke Wattenberg. That's one guy, um, and he might be like, this is going to sound really harsh, but he might be the worst guy uh, like that's playing right now. Um, you said it. You said it. You said it. I know. I, I I did say it, but like you, I mean, he he just is not played great. Um, but. I'm sure there's still people telling him while Hackett may come out and, and it may, may be sunshine and flowers uh, for Luke Wattenberg. I'm sure there's people still in that building saying, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta play better uh, including his own teammates. I'm sure. So I, I, I and I, I also want to say Luke Wattenberg, he's played like four different positions, uh, which I, I would assume is a very hard thing to do as an, a rookie offensive lineman. And I think he's totally undersized. He's got to get, uh, more physical and bigger this off season. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, Nick, I, I, but I don't, you think that some of these young guys, when you talk about um, some of, some of the places that they played college ball at, uh, they're not used to losing games. So I feel like a lot of them will take this win and, and, you know, again, want to replicate it. It's interesting that you talk about, you know, winning in college football and, and how it, it translates to the NFL. I mean, that that's kind of the, the obvious you think, but it doesn't always work out that way. How many guys have we seen playing at play at uh, top power five schools and they did nothing but just win. And then all of a sudden they come to the NFL uh, a lot back in the day, uh, not too long ago in, in Cleveland when they just lost, lost, lost. And they started drafting all these players at the university of Miami guys with, you know, great ped pedigree as far as winning, but yeah, they too got used to it. And Jeremiah Jones, what did we hear from him early on in the season? I went to the Ohio state. I'm not used to losing these types of games. So we know it happens, but this is where it comes down to coaching and being able to try to fire up your guys and, and get them going, which reminds me of something. At one point, you used to coach, right? How was it that uh, you handled that situation and how did you deal with a player that might have been struggling? And because we know Coach Hackett, he's praising him. Hey, you know, he did a great job against, you know, one of the finer, you know, interior pass rushes in the league. How would a, a guy like George Storia handle that situation? Well, Nick, I, you know, I coached uh, powder puff football back in high school. So some time ago, uh, so maybe my philosophies have changed uh, over time if I could redo it. But uh, one, we weren't very good. Our team was terrible. I want to I want to preface by saying 
you know, when you coach powder puff football and you coach them by class. So each year our class had the worst athletes of the group. Uh, and the girls would agree with that. You could ask them. Uh, we had, we had girl, we were going up against girls, Nick, that went on to play division one soccer at places like Michigan, Notre Dame, uh, places like that. Uh, D D one, like they had like nine D one soccer girls. Uh, they had one girl, Nick, that could throw the ball 50 yards down the field. Like she had a wow. cannon for an Impressive. arm. Yeah. And we did not win a single year, Nick. We did not win a game. Every we, we played one game every single year. And uh, freshman year, you play the junior. Sophomore, you play the seniors. And then junior, freshman, senior, uh, sophomores. And we did not win a game. I was the head coach all four years, 0-4. And, and uh, so maybe that's on me. But I got mad at the girls. I made a couple girls cry. Uh, the girls that weren't any good didn't get in the game. And they complained to me. So, for example, if Luke Wattenberg came to me and said, Coach, I want to get in the game. I would have said, sorry, you're not any good. Uh, you're not getting in the game. So that's how I handled it, Nick, um, which is maybe the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe Nathaniel, maybe I can learn something from Nathaniel Hackett. Maybe I can learn something from Nathaniel Hackett, Nick. Uh, but that's how I handled it. Wow. Georgie Porgy just making everyone cry. I, I, I really can't uh, believe that. Now, I know sometimes – you know, you may not be the, the most positive person all the time, but I, I can't believe that you, you would go that far. And once again, you were the coach, right? How much was it on those uh, powder puff girls when you were the coach for four years, George? Come on, man. Well, it was on them a lot because they weren't any good. I mean, that was the problem is you looked out there on our team. There's, you know, 15 girls on the team or 20 girls on the team or whatever. Not a single one of them were a starter on any of the varsity sports. And we were going up against girls every single year. Even when when we played the freshmen as juniors, we were playing girls that were like starting on the varsity basketball or soccer team or softball or whatever. And it's like, where where are all the girls in our class? Like none of them were any good at sports. And so I had all these girls out there that just they didn't they weren't very good at sports. And, and we were terrible at powder puff football. So I, I blame the players. The coaching was the coaching was great, uh, but the players oh, wow. just, we needed we needed a, we needed to draft some players or something. We needed some transfers or or whatever. But also, you know, that was sixteen year old George. I feel like I've changed. I'd be a better coach today than I was, you know, back then. Maybe that's Nathaniel Hackett. Maybe I'm Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, you know, maybe he needs uh, a few years and then he can come back and try it again. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, one thing's for sure. <laughs> That 16-year-old George Storia, man, uh, he needs a, a firm talking to. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> sure my dad would agree. Uh, but, Nick, we got we to gotta take a break, uh, and we will get back to uh, some Broncos football uh, in our last segment uh, instead of me babbling on about how bad our powder puff uh, football team was. I, I still get mad. I mean, I, mean, I, w- I would get angry during the games, Nick, so I, I still get mad thinking about uh, never winning a game as a, as a head coach. But – Anyways, we'll take a break and then we'll dive back into into some Broncos stuff. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, everybody, we're back from that quick break. Uh, And Nick, I wanted to play some quick audio from you. Uh, or from Nathaniel Hackett from yesterday um, about we were just talking about some of those young players uh, and building up their confidence and, and, and some of these guys stepping up. I mean, you look across 
the board, Nick, and and obviously on offense, they've had a ton of guys come in. We mentioned Luke Wattenberg, uh, obviously Jalen Virgil, Brandon Johnson, uh, Greg Dulcich has become one of their best offensive weapons. Uh, so they've had had a handful of, of really young players, uh, especially rookies, come in and fill in on offense. And then on defense, I mean, Damari Mathis is playing really good football. Um, you know, you've got Matt Henningsen, you know, playing up front. Um, Uwazirike, uh, proud of myself for getting that name right um, up front <laughs> as well. Uh, Nick Benito's playing a little bit more. So, uh, it, you know, they've got a, a really a, a big handful of, of young football players playing for them. And Nathaniel Hackett, talked about that yesterday uh, and kind of building their confidence up and, and also uh, how they've contributed to the team this year. So here's the audio from Morocco's.com. Right, we've been continually saying next man up. We've got more guys that are probably going to uh, end up on IR even this week. And we've been saying, hey, you get opportunities and you have a choice. Everything for, for us, we always talk about that choice. How are you going to respond when you're down nine to three? How are you going to respond down 27 to zero. How are you going to respond when you get your opportunity? And it's the same thing with the coaches. They have an opportunity to coach more guys that we might not have spent that much time with, uh, but the coaches keep their heads down. They're fired up for the opportunity to see somebody else that potentially could uh, do something great on the field. Nick, how have you had, I mean, we just kind of talked a little bit about a, a couple of those guys, but how have you seen uh, some of these young guys step up and, and really, not, I mean, not even just young guys, but other guys that, Again, you weren't maybe expecting to play a ton this year uh, or weren't even on the team. I mean, you talk about some of the guys they've picked up uh, because they have so many guys on the injured reserve. How have you seen these guys step up and, and, and fill in in those spots? Well, I've seen these guys kind of really step in because it's due to necessity. Uh, and that's how it works in the NFL. A guy gets injured. Now the guy in waiting has to step up. And I know there's this idea that Hey, you know, starters don't lose their job to uh, injury, but that's a lie. Let me tell you that much because the, the idea is that teams want to win. Coaches want to win. And it's all about setting that culture. So if there's an unexpected guy that unfortunately is thrust into the lineup and they start to play well, you try to keep that momentum going. And, and we've seen that. We, we've seen a uh, growth in Damari Mathis. I mean, a guy who uh, if – um, you know, Ronald, Dar uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ronald Darby didn't get injured. He would have never really seen the light of the day, not this year, maybe next season, but he's received a lot of playing time. And then you also look at a guy like Jalen Virgil, so a guy that came in as a free agent from Appalachian State that most people thought were not going to make this team because the Broncos were so deep at safety and he drafted, you know, a, a guy uh, in Montreal, Washington. So he's been able to contribute or at least, get on the field and get viable experience. And then there's Greg Dosage, uh, a, a guy who continues to show his talent, the same level of talent that we saw at UCLA when he was being evaluated. He's still showing it here with the Denver Broncos. So it's important for a lot of these young guys to get that value playing time because it helps build character. It helps build that chemistry, you know, with the offense and especially with uh, Russell and with Damari Mathis. It just kind of builds the faith and confidence and George Payton, hey, I went out and grabbed this guy out of Pittsburgh, and we didn't know what kind of corner he was going to develop into. But once again, with uh, playing time, I mean, his level of confidence has started to grow. And one thing I, I love about a lot of these young guys, they're not peaking, right? They're not peaking because usually in college, usually you play only 10 games, you know, unless you go to a bowl game. But now they've surpassed that mark, 
and they'll continue to surge forward. So it is really important that a lot of these young guys get this ta- get this experience because it's only going to boost their talent. Well, and Nick, Nick, you said something really interesting there uh, that brings me kind of to my next point. You talked about culture, and you also talked about experience and and going through some of this. How can going through some of the struggles that this team has gone gone through help some of these younger guys, even the older guys? I know there's some guys on this team that have been through this before, right? Like they've seen this season before. Maybe not as this bad. I mean, you look back at the last couple of years, they, they were close. They were a couple of games away from, from making the playoffs just a season ago um, when you really look at it. But how can the, the, the struggles of this team maybe help these players and, and also the coaches? I mean, you talk about a coaching staff. Uh, that you know that Nathaniel Hackett brought in, they were used to winning. I mean, Hackett was winning in Green Bay. Um, you, you bring in a good chunk of the Rams staff from last year, right? When you talk about Evero and Stooks, um, you know those guys won a Super Bowl a year ago, and now they're four and ten uh, in their first year. You know, uh, here in Denver as coordinators. So how can maybe these struggles, maybe again, we don't know what's going to happen this off season, but how can the, these struggles maybe help? Uh, you know, start to maybe build a culture and, and have some of that experience going forward? Well, the way that it does, and, and I'll start with the two people you just mentioned, uh, Jura Evero and Dwayne Stoops, they, they were part of a team that won a Super Bowl. And when you look at both teams at this point, they're both struggling. At, and no one kind of predicted that either team would be in the situation. But when you look at what both franchises are, to me, you would love to be in, you know, the Broncos shoes and Evero and Stoop shoes because when we look at the Rams, where are they going? To me, they might have peaked already. That that was it. They won the Super Bowl. That's it. Remember the last time the Rams won a Super Bowl with – I mean, they not won, but they went to a Super Bowl with Jerry Goff. It was a, some, some years before they were able to get back. So when you look at the Broncos being in a situation, having a guy like Russell, knowing as though you have so many injured guys, thinking, okay, well, what's 2023 going to look like? Getting guys back, adding some free agents, and then knowing as though you still have a locker room full of young guys. You look at that Rams roster. I mean, they have guys who are maybe the fifth, six years, and and now you look at this roster, you now have the ability to grow with these guys. And when you are struggling like this and you've had all these injuries, Coach Hackett alluded to it himself. It forces the coaches to coach better. Because it's easy to coach a bunch of veteran guys. When you're coaching young guys, when you're coaching uh, guys who you figured that would not have been starters but now have been thrust into that starting role, you have to be a little more detailed in your game plan. You may have to simplify things. Other times you may have to expand things. But you get a chance to do that when you are a team that's struggling. It's not ideal, George. But once again, it really presses the button on how well your young players can adapt, but more importantly, your coaches. How can they adapt to the situation and be better coaches? And Nick, that brings me to another question that I think a lot of people are maybe interested in, and that's would you bring the staff back? When you think about the struggles they've been through, maybe the the ups and downs, obviously a lot of downs this season, but they're starting to show a little bit of progress. Um, and it seems like, you know, maybe if you go through all the struggles this season, right, maybe the coaching staff that is relatively young, right? I mean, you look across the board, this is a coaching staff. You've got a handful of guys coaching position groups, you know, uh, you know, as the top position coach for the first time, or you have Evero, first-time coordinator, Hackett, first-time head coach. 
you know, uh, you know, got Clint, who's in his just second year calling plays ever in the NFL. Stukes only his second time being a special teams coordinator. You got a lot of young guys. Do you look at it, Nick, and you say, all right, they got a season under their belt. They understand what the struggle looks like. Uh, let's bring them back and see if they can learn from that and, you know, kind of have a, a you know, not a reset in, in 2023, but, uh, you know, kind of let them run it back one more time and see if they can figure things out. I'm going to say, uh, yeah, uh, I know that's not the answer that a lot of fans want to hear based on how the season has worked out thus far. Because, um, I mean, obviously it's not the season that everyone anticipated and you expect it to have more. But what did you anticipate knowing as though you just mentioned a lot of firsts in there for a lot of individuals? And and to me, yeah, in in this game, you know, you have to cut your teeth somewhere. You have to build that callus. And maybe the season uh, was that season. We've seen teams go from first to worst. We've seen teams go from worst to first. So maybe that's a possibility in 2023. Here's what I would say that happens is that maybe the coaching staff doesn't get fired because of that, George, but maybe certain guys on the coaching staff now are not going to be here because they're always sacrificial lambs when you win and when you lose. So if Hackett is like, hey, listen, look at the situation I was presented with. Obviously, you know, maybe I uh, uh, underestimated you know, what this situation was going to was gonna be like, and then the injuries didn't help, give me an opportunity to run it back. I can see George Payton and the Penner family, Penner Walton family saying, okay, we're going to do that, but you know how this works, right? Uh, you got to crack some eggs and make, make an omelet. So you're going to have to let go of some of your coaches, and here's what we're going to do. We're not going to tell you who to let go. We're going to allow you to make that decision, but here's what we're going to tell you that you can't do. We're going to tell you that you can't fire Clint Kubiak because the team has uh, offensively, progressively looked better under Clint Kubiak. We're going to tell you that you can't fire, you know, Jiro Evero because the defense has continued to step up, even keeping pace after the Broncos fired Vic Fangio. So do with that what you may, but these are the individuals that you can't fire. Anyone else is good to go. But if you want to come back, these are the requirements that you're going to have to abide by. All I heard in all of that, Nick, was omelet. Um, <laughs> sounds really good right now. Uh, but uh, no, but I, I think I think you're right, Nick, because if you – I've started thinking about this because obviously we're getting towards the end of the season here, and that's the storyline, right? I mean, these last three games, obviously, you, you want to win. And like I said, jobs are on the line. They're important games, in my opinion, if you want to keep your job. But um, I think there's a very real scenario that they keep – a good chunk of this staff. Now, what has to probably happen is you're right. You got to keep Evero, which, you know, his name's going to be a hot name out there. I don't think he'll, he'll get a head coaching job this offseason. I think he might get some calls, right? Maybe do some interviews, but I, I think he, he probably won't uh, get one of those head coaching jobs. Uh, but I would keep the entire defensive staff. I just would not touch it. I think that they've done a really good job this year, uh, unless, you know, somebody gets, you know, a different job and they leave. But on the offensive side, Nick, I think you've got to promote Clint Kubiak to the official offensive coordinator. That has to happen. Uh, Justin Alton, I don't really know. Maybe you move him to a different position. Maybe he moves on and goes elsewhere. And then I think you've got to consider uh, what you do with the offensive line because I know they've had a ton of injuries there, but that group's just kind of underperformed this year. So I wonder if Butch Berry is one of those guys, the offensive line coach, that you look at and say, can we go get somebody – with maybe a little bit more experience. And, and uh, Mike Munchak. 
I mean, Mike Munchak, I agree. That was one name that when when the old staff left, I at first was one of the first to mention to say I would keep Mike Munchak because I think the job he was doing was pretty damn good, uh, you know, when he was here. So it, could you get him back? I, I, I don't – is he coaching anywhere right now, Nick? I feel like he took – did he take the year off maybe? Uh, I, think he might, I think he might have taken the year off. I'm not yeah. – uh, totally uh, sure that he could be uh, advising for the Minnesota Vikings. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, I would even, you know, one thing I would do, Nick, is I'd call up Gary Kubiak and say, can you come in and be, you know, kind of a consultant analyst? I have no idea if he'd be interested in doing that. Um, you know, kind of sort of like Dom Capers this last year for the defensive side of the ball, I believe, you know, could you bring in a Gary Kubiak on the offensive side of the ball? I, I don't know what that father son dynamic would be like. Uh, and it sounds like Gary's enjoying his time in Texas, according to Clint, you know, Clint spoke with a group of us last week um, and kind of spoke about Gary and just living. I think he's like in Texas and like a nice house, just fishing every day or something. Okay, wait, wait, hold, uh, hold, on, hold on, George. We live in the world of technology. This is in the 1920s. So yeah. there's still ways that uh, Clint can talk to his father, where his father still can fish and take care of his cows down on his ranch in, in, in Texas. All he has to do is use Zoom, right? Use Zoom. Right. Have a weekly meeting with his son. I'm saying, but I want him there on the sidelines, Nick, because I oh. think he can help out. I think he could help out with some of the game management uh, and just what's going on. I mean, and in my opinion, Nick, I would call up Gary and be like, "Hey, you want to come be the head coach?" <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like, I, I think he'd be great. Good thing that you're not the George that's in charge. <laughs> right, right. But uh, but you know, I, I think there's some interesting things they could do with this staff this offseason that makes you believe that. Maybe this thing can head in the right direction. But again, if they bring him back, the number one thing that has to happen, I think you have to promote uh, Clint Kubiak, the offensive coordinator. And then I think you have to look at some of the offensive, you know, positions and say, hey, you know, can we make a, a change here to improve us? But again, it's going to be interesting, Nick. These last three weeks, I know there's a lot of people out there. There's nothing to play for. Uh, you know, these, these games aren't interesting. Broncos, Rams, oh my gosh, two, four and 10 teams. There's jobs on the line. Uh, there's, there's free agents, free agencies coming up. There's a lot to play for. There's always, I thought Brett Rippon answered my question the other night perfectly. There is always something to play for in the NFL. And while some people don't think there is these last three weeks, I think there is a lot in Denver to play for. No, there, there is a lot to uh, play for. You want to end the season on, on a high note because you, once again, you want to go into the off season with an idea, even if it might be a superficial one. Hey, listen, Look what we did in the last couple of games when no one thought we had those capabilities. Russell was injured. Uh, offensive line is banged up, playing musical chairs, questions about our coach, but we continue to fight, right? It's, it sounds like a Hollywood movie if you think about it. Always in that third act, after being beat down in the second act, there's always uh, the hero that emerges, rises like a phoenix from the ashes, and, and it's like, yes, they did it. We stood up in the theater and we clapped. I mean, I just gave you the plot to every single Rocky Balboa movie, right? The Broncos could see themselves like that. So, yes, there, there is something to play for. And you want to end on a high note, something to celebrate. Because who wants to spend the offseason thinking about how bad they were? Yeah, I agree. Well, Nick, we got we got to get out of here. Uh, I'm going to go make an omelet and start watching some Rocky. Rocky's Rocky, the Rocky reference. That's like one of my favorite movies, um, all the Rocky movies. So uh, I might watch all those today on our off day. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to the podcast. 
Uh, we will see you guys again later this week on Thursday uh, to start breaking down uh, this matchup between the Broncos and the Rams, which, Nick, it's going to be on Nickelodeon. I don't know if your kids will watch the Nickelodeon version, but I know I'm looking forward uh, to having you know some slime uh, on the television uh, for that game. <laughs> but, uh, but again, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you guys again later this week. Yo, Adrian!